And I want to speak today, my talk is called Don't Waste Your Failure. And we've probably all experienced in life the excitement and the joy of starting a new venture. Maybe a new relationship, or a new job, or a new journey of following Jesus and exploring what it means to follow him and feeling a sense of hope and expectation about what might be. And then realizing... When we mess up in some way, things haven't quite worked out the way we hoped. Maybe we make a mistake at work, or the relationship hits the rocks, or the new venture you've started gets a bit bumpy, and it gets a bit tricky. And you're following Jesus, but then it feels like you've lost the track, and you've wandered off the path. And I've experienced that. I've experienced failure. I've experienced the gap between how I expected things to go and how they actually turned out, how I wanted to be and how I acted. When I thought God had given me an opportunity and I blew it. And I felt the shame in my life of letting people down, of letting God down, of letting myself down. And I don't know if you've had those moments where you think, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not just cut out for this. Maybe I should back away. Maybe I'm not one of those people who's able to follow Jesus. Maybe that's reserved for the kind of perfect, shiny people who never seem to make a mistake. He can't have a purpose for someone like me who messes up, can he? How you face failure will hugely shape your future. So how do you thrive in spite of failure and even through it? Well, we're going to look today at a conversation Jesus has with the Apostle Peter, one of his closest followers, and yet in a dramatic, public way, Peter failed. As Jesus is arrested and put on trial, Peter denies he even knew Jesus three times. And after the third time, Peter knows in that moment the full extent of his failure. His, his weakness is exposed and he's let down the one he loves. And we pick up the story in John 21. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. They're fishing. Peter sees him. He jumps in the sea. He rushes to shore. And Jesus is just there kind of cooking breakfast for them on a fire. And then they have this conversation. John 21 from verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. First thing to remember when you're facing a failure is that your failure might come as a shock to you, but it doesn't shock Jesus. No one would have predicted that Peter would have been the one to fail. He'd been called personally by Jesus to follow him. He did so straight away. He spent the next few years being trained by Jesus. No better training or leadership program on the face of the earth ever. He'd seen how Jesus had lived. He'd seen how he'd behaved. He'd heard his teaching. He'd watched him heal people and transform lives. He was part of the inner circle. The people... 
Jesus kept particularly close. He came up the mountain with Jesus and saw him transfigured. And Peter was full of confidence. He was a natural leader. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. You would think there would be no better preparation for facing a challenging season, for facing a difficult test. And Peter was pretty sure of himself. Jesus warned him. He said, you're going to approach a time of trial. And he says, well, not me. I'm, I'm not going to leave your side. Don't worry about me. You know, Lord, I'm ready to go with you even to prison and to death. No one saw it coming. Least of all, Peter. But Jesus saw it coming. He said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And that's what happened. Peter denies Jesus three times that very night. And then Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Your failure might come as a shock to you, but your failure doesn't shock Jesus. I wonder if you've ever felt how Peter felt here, whether you've ever gone out and wept bitterly. You might not have denied Jesus three times, but I think we can all probably think of Three mistakes we've made. Three times we've let Jesus down. Three times when we feel like we've failed. When I was at school, the school I went to was quite rough. And so uh, it was a hard place to learn at times. There were lots of fights and uh, lots of distractions. and It was a bit crazy. But out of a year of about 140, there were about 10 of us who went to a sixth form college. And to, we got the chance to do A-levels. It was very exciting. And one of the extraordinary things about it was at the sixth form college, um, people let the teachers teach. It was amazing. And so you went into the classes and everyone listened to the teachers and they did the work and you could just engage. It was extraordinary. So for us, it was like stepping into Narnia. It was very exciting and um, we really enjoyed it. And one of the teachers was a brilliant politics teacher called Mr. Smith. And he was inspiring. He was passionate. He brought politics to life. I absolutely loved learning from him. And uh, the only thing was Mr. Smith seemed to have a bit of an issue with faith and quite a big issue with Christians. And uh, at the same time, we'd started this little youth group where I grew up um, on the estates around there, and uh, lots of people coming to faith. It was growing. It was really exciting. And a couple of people in my life said to me, Stephen, we think you might have some kind of anointing to tell people about Jesus. And I thought, well, that's a bit odd. What a weird thing to say. And, um, and so I didn't really think much about it. Anyway, then one day in college, Mr. Smith was having one of his rants about faith and about Jesus, as he did from time to time. And he was talking, oh, you know, these Christians, they're completely crazy. They think Jesus is going to return. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, no one believes any of that stuff anymore. I bet no one in this class believes any of that stuff, do they? And then he kind of looked right the way around the class. And there was this moment where his eyes kind of met with me. And I just kind of put my head down. And I actually just shook my head like this. And then he just carried on ranting. And as I walked out of that classroom, I felt so ashamed. I felt so embarrassed. I was like, what have I done? Why did, why did I do that? I know Jesus. I've put my trust in Jesus. I believe Jesus is going to come again. I couldn't even say it there. People saying, I'm going to be anointed to talk about Jesus. I can't even talk about Jesus in a politics class in Luton Sixth Form College. What's wrong with me? 
And I, I kind of, it was bitter. I wept bitterly. I was ashamed about it for months, and if I'm honest, for years. I was so shocked at my failure. I hadn't seen it coming. Hadn't realized how much I cared about what people thought about me. Hadn't realized how much I cared about what Mr. Smith thought about me. We are shocked when we fail, but Jesus is not shocked. Jesus, when you fail, Jesus doesn't like stand there saying, what did you do? You did that? I never saw that coming. When I called you to follow me, I didn't anticipate you would do that. If I'd seen that happening, I would never have called you in the first place. When Jesus calls you, he knows your greatest weakness and he anticipates your greatest failure. He said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He anticipated the precise and specific nature of Peter's failure and the extent to which he would fail. Jesus priced in your failure before he called you. He priced it in when he paid the price on the cross for all of your sins, all of your failures, past, present, and future. He bought the whole package. And Peter came to learn that. In 1 Peter 2, 24, he wrote this later in his life. When he was an older man, he said, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Knowing Peter would fail, Jesus called him. When he calls you, he's aware of what might happen. Your failures don't shock him. But the key is not to waste your failure. And with Jesus, your failures never need be wasted. It was tough for Peter. He'd faced a brutal reality check. Uh, How is he going to respond? Is this failure going to define him? And is he going to walk away? Or is it going to refine him? And is he going to come closer back to Jesus? And if you're going to learn from failure, you do have to face the failures which you experience. And Peter, we see in this passage, is fishing. And uh, it's almost as if he's left his nets to follow Jesus. And then he fails and he goes back to his nets because that's all he's got left. Returns to his old habits. Avoid the place of failure. But when he sees Jesus, he can't resist running to him and coming close to him. He just wants to be near him. And it's interesting, Jesus has made a charcoal fire in verse 9. And the only other time that particular word appears in the whole of the New Testament is when Peter denies Jesus by a charcoal fire. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying to Peter, look, here we are again. You know, we're back by a charcoal fire. Do you remember this? Do you remember when you were saying you didn't even know me. He's forcing Peter to come face to face with his failure. And like, he says to him, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it looks like Jesus is twisting the knife. And he is, but it's the knife of a surgeon. He's not doing it to harm him, but to heal him. Not to punish him, but to restore him. And Peter has been refined by his failure. I find it fascinating that as Jesus comes to him, you've got the moment of Peter. Peter is called by the side of the sea. Jesus brings him back to the side of the sea. Peter fails by a charcoal fire. Jesus brings him back to the charcoal fire. He's like, I knew and I know. And I'm still here. I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked. And Peter says, you know all things. You know me inside out. You know how I failed you. You know I love you. 
And Peter learns he's weaker than he ever feared, but Jesus' grace is stronger than he ever dared to hope. Don't waste your failure. Don't stay away from Jesus when things are difficult. When um, I proposed to my wife, Beth, uh, I had to go and ask her dad for consent, but it was a bit of a journey, and I was very excited. So I told my parents in the morning, I said, I'm going to propose, well, I've sort of proposed already, but I'm going to propose in a bit, and I'm going to ask Beth's dad for his consent. And my dad, very wise Yorkshireman, said, "Um, be very careful, Stephen. You're going to drive to Oxford, then you're going to drive up to Shropshire, then go back to Oxford, then you're going to drive back to Luton. That's a lot of driving in one day. You'll probably have a big accident. And I was like, Dad, like, come on. He said, no, 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 you're on cloud nine. You're about to ask best dad for his consent. You're on, you know, it's going to be a busy, busy day. Just be really careful. I'll be like, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. So I jumped in the car, da-da-da, went all the way to Shropshire. Best dad said, yes, amazing. Drove all the way back. And then as we were driving back, um, just took a corner a bit fast on a country lane in Shropshire, and... Um, there was temporary traffic lights and a Volvo, um, the immovable object, was in front of me and, um, and my car not quite as strong as that and we came around the corner, couldn't brake quick enough and we went into the back of this Volvo and um, it's quite elderly gentleman, the door opened, he stepped out, classical music booming across the countryside, he walked round to my car, the bonnet was about this big and um, it had been all squashed up and he kind of knocked on the window, I wound it down, he said, did you just hit my car? And I was like, yes, I... I I hit your car. And, um, and then I had this awful thing of having to phone my parents, my parents, and say, so sorry, probably written off the car. Um, and, uh, and then I had to drive, just about managed to drive the car back and kind of pulled in outside our house in Luton and just turned off the engine. I just thought, I cannot bear this. This is going to be so awful. I'm going to have to walk in. My parents are going to be furious. They're going to be really upset. I just couldn't bear the shame. Maybe I thought I should just go to the pub, just go anywhere else rather than into the house. But I thought, no, you've got to face it. So I walked into the house and I walked into our kind of living room and my little brother, Paul, he was there sitting there on the sofa. He'd got a drink. He got snacks. He was like so excited to see what was about to... I could see him like rubbing his hands like... Stephen's in trouble, it's going to be a good night, can't wait. And then my parents came in together into the room, and I looked at them, and they looked at me, and they said, how did it go? And I said, oh, it went okay. And they said, what did Beth's dad say? And I said, oh, he said this. And Beth's mum, what did she say? And I said, oh, he said this. And they said, oh, and how how are you feeling? How was Beth feeling? And this went on for about 20 minutes, and eventually my brother could not contain himself. And he said, Stephen crashed the car! He wrote off the car, tell him off. So interesting. (laughs) I was convinced I was going to get absolutely roasted by my parents, but they just wanted to see me and to celebrate. I was so tempted to stay away from them, but they couldn't wait to be close to me. You know, so often when we fail, don't let your failures keep you from Jesus. I learned two things that day. I learned I need to listen more, I'm too proud. I learned my parents loved me more than I ever anticipated or realized. Don't let your failures keep you from Jesus. Peter goes to Jesus, even though he's failed, Jesus still loves him. And the foundation of all that Peter will do for Jesus is going to be his understanding of the great extent of that love. When you feel the greatness of God's love for you, not because you've lived a perfect life, Not because you've behaved 100% every day, but because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. And it can't just be washed away by your mistakes. 
His grip isn't loosened by your failure. Don't waste your failure. And then your failure isn't final. With Jesus, you have another chance. Peter might have thought the best he could have hoped for was forgiveness. And let's be honest, forgiveness is miraculous. It's extraordinary. It's amazing. That's a a wonderful blessing. Just to be welcomed back. And you would think, well, I'll come back. But I'm not going to be used by him again in the future. How could Jesus trust me again? Why would Jesus raise up a failure. I mean, Jesus could raise up anyone in the world. Why back someone who's shown that they're going to let him down? Why would Jesus take another chance on a failure? But failure is an incident, not an identity. You might have failed, but you are not a failure. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus doesn't just forgive people. Peter. He restores him. He says three times, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Out of love for me, serve me. And he restores him and he recommissions him. And he gives Peter this responsibility for caring for his people. His key role in helping people to grow in faith. And he calls him again to follow him to grow in his faith. Peter learns his failure is temporary, but Jesus' faithfulness is forever. And it starts to make sense of what Jesus said to Peter before he failed. I find this fascinating. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Even before Peter fails, Jesus is anticipating the precise manner of his return and his restoration. And he's praying for him. He's praying for his calling. He knows he's going to face difficult times. He knows it's not going to be rosy. He knows there are going to be bumps and scrapes and scars and wounds. Jesus' purpose for your life is not dependent on your perfect performance. Jesus doesn't pray for you because you're perfect and don't make mistakes. He prays for you because you're not perfect and you're going to make loads of mistakes. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes even as you try and follow him wholeheartedly. Jesus prays that Peter's faith won't fail. Because the calling and promises of God are irrevocable, they're unbreakable. And the sovereignty of God is such that his purposes in your life can flourish even in the midst of your failure. But there's a cost. And we're called for a cost. It says verse 18, verse 19. Jesus says, when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will lead you and take you where you do not want to go. But follow me. And he says, Look, you're going to have to die for this. And Peter is transformed by this encounter with the risen Jesus. Completely transformed by it. So much so that weeks later, he's able to stand before a crowd and speak boldly about Jesus. Speak boldly and thousands come to trust Jesus. So much so that when he's on trial for his life in court, he's told to stop speaking about Jesus. And he says to the court, I cannot help speaking about what I've seen and heard. It's like Jesus uses the very point of Peter's weakness and his failure as the very means of him demonstrating his power and his purposes in his life. Peter knew the bitter pain of failure, but he knew even more the joy of restoration. Jesus could have just left Peter to one side. He had plenty of options. But Jesus doesn't give up easily on those he calls to follow him. You know, after I failed, after I denied I 
knew Jesus, I, I thought, I don't think I should do this anymore. I don't think Jesus could trust me anymore. I think I should just back away and live a quiet life. And then I had an encounter, an encounter with Jesus by the Holy Spirit when I was studying in this city. And it changed me so much. I thought, I just felt his love and I felt his forgiveness. I thought, I'm going to give this another shot if that's okay, Jesus. So I phoned up Mr. Smith and I took him for a pint. I had a great chat and um, told me I was one of his favorite students. It was always nice to know. And, um, and he, he said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, I want to work as a barrister because I'd, I'd like to kind of... Um, help people in terms of justice. He says, oh, you can make loads of money as a barrister. I said, I'm not really that interested in money. I'm more interested in justice. He says, watch out, Steve. You're sounding a bit Christian. I said, well, it's funny you say that, Mr. Smith. (laughs) Because I am a Christian. And he looked so shocked. And he said, what do you mean? How long? What's happened? And, um, And I said, well, you know, it hasn't always been as big a part of my life as it is now. But I, but I believe and I trust in Jesus. And he said, why didn't you say something in the classroom? I said, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I was just a bit afraid, I guess. And we had this conversation. And as I walked away from that pub, I just had this question like, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you say something? And I thought, I never again want my friend or my colleague or my family member to say to me, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you say something to me? When I started working as a barrister, had this year-long job interview. It was like The Apprentice meets The Hunger Games. And um, there were 10 of us vying for one place. And uh, at the end of the first week, you know, it was difficult context, didn't really know how to behave. There was lots of very smart people and me. And uh, I, we went to the pub. And while I was there, one of my fellow trainees had worked out I was a Christian. And I think he thought, let's torpedo Stephen before the day begins. And so he, he said to the whole group, you know, senior people, really experienced QCs, he said to them, um, has anyone seen The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson film? And I thought that's an odd question for a Friday night in the pub. And, uh, and some people said, yeah, some people said, no. And then I said, yeah, I've seen it. And then he turned to me and he said, well, what do you think of it, Stephen? Because you're a Christian, aren't you? And everything went quiet in our group. All the kind of senior people leaned in and listened very carefully. And I thought, this is not good. I thought, this is my first week at work. Like, I had a plan. Like, show them I'm good at doing law. Work here for a little while. You know, maybe after three years on a Monday, after coffee, I'd say, I went to church on Sunday. Not, <laughs> not at the end of the first week. And, um, and so it was like two roads opened up in front of me. But I thought, I've got to tell the truth. So I said, well, well yeah, I am, I, am, I am actually a Christian. And I guess, you know, they've tried to give it a, a vaguely historical rendering. So I, I think it's, it's, it's probably, you know, as accurate as these things go. And everyone leaned in. And one of the very senior people stepped forward. They're so polite, so polite. And um, he said, well, that's wonderful, Stephen. So thrilled that you've got a private, personal faith. Um, we don't have any objection to that. You know, the only people, the only things that would concern us is those Christians you've probably never met, Mon, but they believe in stuff like evangelism and telling people about Jesus. And obviously, you're not that sort of Christian. And um, two roads opened up in front of me. And, and I said, well, uh, I thought, I can't believe it. I was just having a drink a minute ago. I said, well, well I guess if, if, it, if I believe it's true, and I do believe it's true, I mean, it it's so important that it'd be weird if I didn't say anything to anyone. 
And so I guess, you know, in a sensitive way, I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk to people about it. He said, of course, of course, of course. You know, in a quiet, appropriate way, if people are interested in your faith, of course you can have people talk about it. He said, I guess what I'm really getting at, you know, it's those Christians who believe in things like miracles and speaking in tongues and all those other crazy things. You know, I'm sure you're not one of those kind of Christians, are you? And two roads opened up in front of me. And I thought, I am down now. I'm like in, there's no way back. So I said, well, you know, when I read the New Testament, when I read... Um, what happened in the early church. It seems like there were miracles. It seems like these things happened. And so I think they're available today. And actually, I do have some experience of those things. And they were like, oh. <laughs> and as I walked away from the pub that night, I was like, this is the shortest career anyone has ever had. I was like, God, it's over to you. And you know, the strange thing is about God, it's like those who honor him, he honors and so they, I, I thought it was kind of a floundering, flustered person straight out of uni trying to stick up for the Christian faith on a Friday night in front of a load of experienced barristers. What they saw was a 22-year-old who was prepared to stand their ground even though everyone was against them. And they thought, we can work with that. And so I was there for a number of years and got to talk to a number of people about my faith. You know, don't waste your failure. I have failed. I will fail. I almost believe the lie that because I failed to use my voice on one occasion, I was disqualified from using it ever again. Maybe you failed in a particular area, even the last few months, and you think, oh, because I failed in that area, that disqualifies me from ever doing anything in that space ever again. You might have failed, but Jesus isn't finished with you yet. And I'm resolved, as long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as I can speak, I'm going to tell people who Jesus is and what he's done. He's my saviour. He's my rescuer. He's my lord. He's my deliverer. He's my strong tower. He's not going to let go of me. And if I can introduce you to anyone in the world, I'm going to try and introduce you to him because he's the most extraordinary person that's ever lived on the face of the globe. You might have failed, but you're not a failure. Jesus restores. He renews. You have another chance. It's not too late.